0: Radio.
1: your gamers roll. www.d20radio.com. Execute order sixty-six.
0: Coming at you live on UStream and by podcast at d20radio.com. This is the Order Sixty-Six podcast, brought to you by MapsOfMastery.com. So, yeah, you know, it's been uh, about a month since the last episode of the Order 66 podcast, and this is July 1, 2012. And you're back for episode 159 of the Order 66 podcast. And that would be GM Dave, one of your uh, hostiferous tonight. Mm-hmm. And uh, the um, mm, on the other side of the line there is uh, a gentleman who needs no introduction yet. We'll get one anyway. GM Chris.
1: What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, this is the Order 66 podcast, the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing. And we have been trying for the last hour to get the show on the road. And um, in an ironic twist of Machiavellian fate... um. We are back in the bosom of the hated enemy.
0: Hey, uh, you, you know, it's no longer hated. If it's our
1: lifeboat, we are back in Echo Base. <laughs> so we, you guys know, we have lots of people in the chat right now that are watching uh, live via Ustream. Uh, what, what used to be Ustream, which was Echo Base, and then um, Ustream started to start to blow really bad. The sound quality was awful; it, it was horrible. And so we switched to JustinTV. And the last, those of you who've listened to the last couple episodes, you realize that Justin TV has also been the cause of massive sound issues <laughs> that it started to crop up. Yep. So, it got, it, what it got to the point when we, we were starting to get the get the show going, it was just it was unlistenable.
0: It was absolutely unlistenable because it was, um,
1: well, let's just say it was terrible. It was it was absolutely terrible, and so um, we tried, spent forty five minutes trying to on the fly see if we can get Google Plus Hangouts work yep that didn't nope (laughs) sound quality was even worse um and we just just for 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 poops and giggles we said i wonder if Ustream's gotten any better in the four months since we dumped it and uh golly gee it has
0: all of a sudden imagine that dude you know
1: (laughs) man but we are here and we are happy and i am so excited for the show um like, the show's got me excited for a whole new segment of shows, and we got, we got a bunch of new stuff tonight. Um, I, I'm actually very excited. What do you say we kick this pig, man? Well, let's just
0: get this show on the road, then.
2: Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisitions.
1: Greetings, Nation. My designation is kck Sim, And this is your Hollow News Net update.
0: Ah, uh, yes, we're going to have a contest. For all new beds and stuff. And more details soon.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, so, Jake Bacon's in the chat. He says, you stream as a girlfriend you dumped because she was treating you like crap, only to run into her after several months as she turned herself into a flippin' model citizen.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, that, that is exactly what happened. She was, um, she was ugly, but went to the dance in a pretty dress, and uh, so we're back. <laughs> you know, so, anyway, a feature podcast this week. So, um, you know, as uh, Gamer Nation Studios' very first Game Edition Wars... Makes its way to us across the waves of the Pacific Ocean. Yes, by the way, Gamer Nation. The I'm not sure the boat has actually been loaded yet because I haven't gotten the notification. But it's sitting on the dock. Dude, it'll go on a boat and be like making its way right here. So anyway, we can't help but laugh at the fun little game, right? We point our minds back to the various editions of RPGs that we love to play. And to that end, it's always fun to listen to the Roll for Initiative podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, baby, it's D20 Radio Solid Show dedicated to first edition Advanced D&D. So DM Vince and the crew released an episode um, very near to our frame of reference this week with Volume 2, Issue 85, Sci-Fi in D&D. So aside from a great talk about porting Sci-Fi, into your D&D game with plots, characters, and equipment, the boys also have a great interview with drive Through RPG's Sean Patrick Fannin. And... Matt McElroy, who apparently doesn't have three names.
1: <laughs> so anyway, give it a listen. It's a good show. Um, so you know, we had the, the chance to really hang and play with DM Vince at ReaperCon this last year. Um, great guy. I've had the chance to play with him you know, and get to know him and actually have yeah. a podcast. It's like he's a lot of fun um tg afterwards we're really even on the last day she, she goes after vince i pulled our reaper books and ended up scoring those awesome uh pewter web miniatures oh yeah she's playing the paint job on right now and he was so cool and, and she's like you know vince is a really nice guy i'm like yeah he really is and she's like we need to get him over to some gaming sessions i'm like yes we do yes um, when we can have them <laughs> <laughs> exactly there. But great episode, great podcast. Find more podcasts, guys, at www.d20radio.com. Um, well, man, juicy bits of web goodness. Dude, dude. Uh, fans of Sterling Hershey's Star Wars Wednesdays blog have a lot to digest from the master in recent weeks, including copious news updates, rampant rumors about the older public MMO. They're talking about making it freeware, dude. They're talking about really changing it.
0: Huh. You know yeah. what that You know what that says to me is that it
1: failed. Yeah, because apparently, apparently the, the rumor mill is that their subscribers have been dropping off like flies. I don't know. Um, uh, also, talks a lot about John Jackson Miller's latest news on the Night Errant Comics, if you're an EU junkie. Um, but Sterling also recently took the time to pimp out some of his favorite Kickstarter projects. And Sterling, big thank you for giving D20 Radio some props. Um, most of his uh, suggestions should shake any Star Wars junkie all the way to the keyboards to get there. Go check it out, www.sterlinghershey.com. It is wicked,
0: wicked cool. All right, so Fiddleback is uh, is is going through massive gyrations, of course, because he runs our uh, vaunted Order of Sixty Six Guild over there on that Star Wars MMO.
1: These are just rumors, Fiddy. They're just rumors,
0: and it goes along with the server contraction that has happened. They've taken servers that were not very populated, and they've put them together with other servers to make sure everyone has a good playing experience. This happens with every single MMO that launches. Yeah. And um, people that are on low-population servers, just, it happens, right? Especially, you know, your RP servers that, you know, didn't get a whole big, giant following in the first place. So I I don't have a problem. I I actually logged into the game for the first time in, I don't know, five months yesterday and uh, and played for a little bit. but
1: yeah, I, I agree. I don't, I don't know what the credence is to the rumors and crimson seals in the chat. He's like, dude, they got over a million subscribers. free to, free to play is quite a bit away. I mean, uh, 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 D, uh DDO was like down to a quarter mil before they went to free. So if I'm not mistaken,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so, yeah, there you, go. There you go. And they just, and they just had a content release. So yeah, you yeah.
0: never know, but, but, um, uh, Skype is jacking uh, with us yet again. It's, so, it's, so, you know, yeah. It is what it, it is. is, I guess. It is I
1: guess. What it is. Um, massive news updates also have been released regarding the upcoming Star Wars Celebration 6, uh, which many hardcore Star Wars fans will be attending this August, 23rd through 26th in Orlando, Florida, just at the Willie, the week, a week or so after Gen Con. Um, what news do we have? Well, first glimpse at the exclusive Seb 6-only uh, artwork prints is now available, and they look tight. Uh, also, it has been revealed that outspoken Star Wars fan and geek God, Kevin Smith will be attending Seb for the first time, and he will even have a special evening event at the convention. And most exciting to me, I guess, is that the Star Wars Tattoo Pavilion is back, <laughs> and they've extended it. And Dave, you, do you know they have an actual? They, they had uh, at least last last Seb uh, an actual tattoo pavilion. No, um, no, specifically devoted to Star Wars tattoos, and you could go and, and sit and get the ultimate souvenir from from celebration um shane turgeon author of the force in the flesh um great great book uh dealing with that whole subject um he's a great artist uh and mark raven uh the creator of ink fusion they're putting on this massive blowout uh with a whole bunch of round tat artists from around the world that's wicked but uh check out the prints and all the latest updates at www.starwars.com slash news
0: yes yes, that that so, so uh, I'm going to cut I'm you off cut Skype off and redial you like, while I'm, while doing, I'm this doing this next thing. thing. But what I wanted to say is that, uh, yes, onward to the glory of the Gamer Nation. And this, uh, this is a story that we simply had to share. And uh, because it gives us feel goodies in the cockles of our heart. Uh, as many of the followers of this show know, Friend of the network and Saga author Gary Asselford suffered a loss of job recently, as did every single other employee that worked at 38 Studios, uh, because they closed their doors in a very publicized and rumor-milled throwdown with Kurt Schilling versus the state of uh, Pennsylvania and all kinds of other crap. So in an effort to make uh, help make ends meet, Gary made the courageous decision for his family to auction off the collection of Saga books that he worked on, signed, of course, by himself. One such bidder was our very own Dr. Xerox, who uh, got into Saga a little bit late and was struggling to build his uh, library. Unfortunately, he did not get the winning bid, but the winning bid was made by none other than uh, Xerox's GM, D20 Radio alum, uh, Edition Wars supporter, and host of the Bloody Bard podcast, St. Mac. This is where it gets utterly amazing, right? So Mac got the package from Gary, slapped a new label on it, and shipped it off to Dr. Xerox. So I doubt very seriously that he ever wanted this to be known, but Xerox let us know about this amazing gift made for the love of Saga Edition and and really a dedicated player. Uh, and with our big mouse, of course, <laughs> you know, now you know about it, too. Word. Uh, I happened to talk uh, to Gary about this, and... Uh, he was touched, to say the least. So, we want to say kudos to you, Mac, and I am going to raise my sonic glass to you. we Yep. 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 Um, any of you interested? And many are. You've emailed and PM'd after uh, 38 Studio shut down. Things are looking up for the Asselfords. They are. Um, Gary's gotten a new writing gig in California. And the family is making the moves. So, um, with uh, with that, our thoughts and well wishes are with you, Mister Asselford, sir, as an alumnus and D twenty Radio's own, Gary Asselford. Word. Word up.
1: Last announcement, I guess, for the night, and this is a big one. Um, Dave T shirts.
0: Yeah, this yeah. is it, dude. Uh, in about a uh, week and a half. We are going to uh, put the order in for the Edition Wars slash Gen Con t-shirt for this year. If anybody who's listening to this show has not ordered or did not support us through Kickstarter and getting a t-shirt already, go to our website, which is thegamernation.org slash gamestore, G-A-M-E-S-T-O-R-E, and order up at T-shirt. It'll, it'll take you through PayPal or Amazon or however your preferred method of payment is. Payment. And we will get your order and we will
1: get you, will will get you, you a t shirt. And they're wicked. They are cool. They are. Like it. Love it. Yep. I want yep. some more of it. It's the precious. It's the pre-
0: <laughs> uh, with that, uh, we move into here. Hear.
2: D20 Docking Bay, hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it.
1: And it's time for the D20 Docking Bay.
0: Ah, yes. (sighs)
2: So,
0: the D20 Docking Bay, we answer questions sent to us by all sorts of means via... Chat message, instant message, forum post, email, Skype—lots of ways.
1: There are there are quite a few ways which we will cover at the end of the document. Ah, yes. But I'm anxious to some questions. So what do we have, dude? Hit us! Hit us on it.
0: Okay, first question of the night. Simple one, but an important one. It comes from Ill Slim Two, not Ill Slim Three or One, Two. All right, if a PC or NPC has dual weapon mastery and is dual wielding and takes double attack, does he get one extra attack on a full round attack or two? In other words, is it double attack per weapon being used or just one extra attack a round no matter what attack action you're using?
1: Really good question. Um, now, the rules for dual wielding for those following along in their storybooks at home, are clarified on page 154 of the core rulebook. Uh, it's pretty simple. If you have two weapons or a double weapon, you can attack with both, albeit at a substantial penalty, without the right feat. But anytime you make more than one attack per turn, it is going to cost you a full round action, without some high-level abilities, at least. The problem with dual wielding, effectively, is that the feats which make it palatable have some dex requirements that some characters just can't meet. So many characters turn to the double attack feat, which lets you take an extra attack with a single weapon, Still a full round action, of course, at a lesser penalty to attack, but without the Pesky requirement. But can you use both together? Of course you can. Uh, the full round action still applies, and the answer to your question, Ilslim, uh, Slim, is that two are additive, not multi- multiplicative. In other words, if you use dual wielding and double attack, you'll get three attacks in that full round, but the penalties are cumulative, meaning it'll be a minus 15 to each attack roll without any specialty feature abilities, of course. So that's that. easy question, but very important and very common. Minus, yeah,
0: minus 15. fifteen. Yeah, good thing yeah, Skype is I, repeating I, everything I, I say because baby. that
1: was needed to be repeated.
2: <laughs> well,
1: uh, why don't you uh, disconnect me, reconnect me, and read off the next question?
0: <laughs> All right, so we got a, ser- a set of paraphrased, uh, clarifying questions from Away. Put your weapon. Sounds great right now. Mm. I'd like to get some clarity. Regarding free actions, my understanding of free actions has been that they can be taken when it's not your turn, unless specifically stated in the actions effect text. E.g., jetpack training talent, instinctive defense feet, melee duelist out of nowhere talent, or the fast search feet. Yeah. The cool the core rulebook states you may take you, one or more free actions free, equal, even when it isn't your turn. It's page 144. Page. For example, dropping Throne as a free action, Trained Acrobatics DC-15, the Call Weapon talent and Surge power can all, by raw, be done when it's not your turn. Would you say that's correct? If so, can free actions be used to power reactions, like Surge before you fade away, or Call Weapon before you deflect?
1: It's a really tough question. Uh, bottom line, man, it's going to come down to your GM. Uh, the errata and the devs have clarified you can only have one reaction to an action, but you could declare a free action, but, but could you declare a free action before taking your reaction? Um, frankly, man, I'd let you uh, most of the time, just because it's really cool. Uh, I think if you spend a talent for call weapon and you wanted to call it to your hand in a flash in order to deflect when it wasn't your turn, I mean, that's pimp. I totally let you do that. But if you're getting abusive with it, mm, honestly, man, it's going to be up to your GM. Yeah. yeah. So. All, right.
0: All right. So can so, free actions interrupt the actions of others? Actions of others? Like call like weapon call to negate, to negate someone, someone disarming, force disarming force your lightsaber? <laughs> or acrobatics <laughs> check to drop prone drop if someone attacks, attacks you? I, would say, I no would say no to the interrupt. To the inter-
1: the inter- and I would agree with you. Unless the effect states that it interrupts, then the two actions are discrete. You can't you can you can use hal weapon when it's not your turn, but it would be after you got disarmed, not during. So. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh,
0: okay. Uh, next one is next, an NPC takes the aim action against you. You can make the acrobatics check to drop prone then before the attack. Yes. How do you know he's aiming at you? He mm-hmm. then free attacks you or just attacks someone who isn't prone, forfeiting the benefit of his aiming. Or apply the same reasoning to call weapon. Can you use the talent to call your lightsaber and ignite it when someone is aiming at you?
1: Uh, that's a toughie. Um, again, I'm going to say the answer is it depends. Um, some of your examples, absolutely not. A lot of this is going to be GM discretion, man. If it were me, I would rule that you could do it as long as you were aware of the attack and you knew that he was targeting you and you knew he was aiming at you. That's the big difference. Um, uh, but even then, I, I would have a hard time... I really wouldn't let you get abusive with it. Aiming is something discreet. Someone takes time to aim. Um, so, again, it's that difference between an interrupt and, and an actual reaction. If he takes two swifts, and you're aware that he's aiming at you, I might let you drop before he has a chance to use his standard action to fire, but if he's, like, making his standard action to fire, I wouldn't let you drop beforehand. That That's technically an interrupt in my mind. So, I mean, yeah, it really depends. Yeah, how do you, how do you know he's aiming at you? I mean... I mean, I guess if the GM describes it appropriately, but yeah, even then, it, it's really going to depend on, on on the situation. And this is why we have GMs. This is why we have GMs. But it, it's it's starting to smell like a lot of like a lot of really stinky Limburger cheese, though, isn't it, Dave? Yeah. Somewhat. Yeah. Um, and the instant I start smelling cheese on the game table, I kind of got to dismiss it out of hand. Yeah. So yeah. It's kind of where I sit. I would, yeah, I would would say the same thing.
0: All right, so next question comes from Crimson Steel, Steel, Steel. who asks, oh, wow, see, that broke it. (laughs) My pilot player brought this question to me, and I am not sure how to rule it. In the vehicle's auto fire section of the core rulebook, page 173, it states that starfighters may make a strafe attack a number of squares in a straight line. Are you doing something, by the way? Are you, like, muting or something? Uh, no, why? What's that? Ah, It's just weird that it just all of a sudden went away, that whole echo thing. Yeah, nothing. Cool. cool. All, right. all right. So, it's back, just like that. Bam. All right. It says the starfighters may make a strafe attack. A number of squares in a straight line as they fly over, not in starship Sorry. scale. It appears the core rulebook is the only book that ever clarifies clarifies things as starfighter, starfighter, space space, transport, capital 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 ship. All other books books just use the size designation. designation. Now in Starships of the Galaxy Combat Thrusters, page 40, it states that combat thrusters treat space transports as if they're starfighters for the purpose of dogfighting and being hit by capital ships. But would you allow a space transport with combat thrusters and an auto-fire weapon to do a straight attack? attack. I know raw, wise, it's a no-go, but I don't think it's game-breaking. Then again, then again. I am not that up on mechanics mechanics. yet to know if there are any hidden pitfalls. I haven't ruled on my player's question yet, but I am inclined to allow it.
1: Gosh, sure. Um, Why not? To clarify, starfighters with auto-fire weapons can make strafe attacks, as you say, in non-starship scale on any square that they fly over. It's very cinematic. It makes sense. I mean, when you consider the size, the speed of a starfighter, when they fly over a large group of characters um, and they fire away with starship scale weapons, you know, it's cinematic. Now, combat thrusters are what let the Millennium Falcon and other ships of that size do starfighter-y stuff. And though it's not called out in the rules, I totally think it qualifies as starfighter-y stuff. Uh, it's not game-breaking in any way. And I think the rule about being starfighter-only directly ties to that starfighter speed maneuverability, and that's what combat thrusters give to a transport. So I would I would completely allow it. Um, plus you're spending concrete resources. I mean, putting combat thrusters on freighter it costs emplacement points. It costs time, mechanics checks, money. Um, and if, you know, yeah, I would absolutely get let you get full use out of it unless you're breaking the game with it and this is far from that. So absolutely, and I would encourage you to allow allow it completely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. All right, so uh, our uh, um... Our last question came in an email from Leia Playa, who has a Wookiee character and needs some advice, and it says this, hello order 66, that's us. That's us. I've been listening to your show for a long time, but finally have been playing a game.
1: Good for you. Yes. Yes.
0: My character is a freed Wookiee slave with a chip on his shoulder and anger management issues. Now that's my kind of (laughs) Wookiee. My question is this. this. I've taken an extra rage feed (laughs) and I love love raging in combat. combat. When my rage is over and I move down the condition track until I rest, can I rage again during the same encounter? Am I still down the condition track? My GM says yes, but I want to run it by you guys. Sex in Advance.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Um, any player of Wookiees, Dave, knows Wookiee rage all too well. Um, and it is detailed on page thirty-two of the core rulebook. And once a day, you can fly into a rage that lasts for a number of rounds equal to five plus your con modifier. You gain a plus two to melee attack and damage rolls. It's pretty spiffy, pretty classy.
0: Pretty awesome. But at awesome. The end of your rage, yeah, San Diego. Move... I'm sorry. I said yes. Yeah, stay classy, San Diego. Oh yeah.
1: They're... Um. At the end of your rage, you will move minus one persistent step down the condition track, uh, which is removed with 10 minutes of rest. Now, the extra rage feat is on page 85 of the core of the book, and it simply says, you can rage one additional time per day. No mention of, hey, only once per encounter. So, <laughs> so, yeah, by a strict reading of the rules as written, the raw, there's nothing stopping you from activating both your rages during the same encounter. But also, by the raw, you're still at minus one persistent step down the condition track from your first rage. Now, the plus two... Helps negate that somewhat. But persistent steps, men they're, they're no picnic. We've talked about this before. If you move down the condition track again, perhaps due to damage, you can't recover normally, period, even if you're aging for your second rage. You have to wait 10 minutes or have surgery, which you're probably not going to have the time for, and take 10 minutes anyway, even with white feet. <laughs> so honestly, Leia, your GM is on the correct side. This one. And I would say absolutely you can rage twice during an encounter, but you are gonna suffer that minus one persistent step from the first rage. And that's very much a game balance issue. So them's the ruling on that. Perfect. Perfect.
0: So I got a Skype so call. Type. Oh that I want to play I, and I haven't I, and really listened it. to it. I haven't either. So let's so, let's play it and see if it. you can hear it. Cool. Hey
1: guys, it's Bob. To of Five, and I was wondering if you could go over I hear the Zayn Shaw. Dude, are you just jacking with me? I no, mean, no,
0: no. I I think the chatter can hear it, which is really cool. He was, he, I think he was, he's looking for a uh, he's looking for a, a lightsaber deal. So we need to wait. We, to, we need to wait need, for
1: that. Okay, we'll come, we'll come back to this. we we'll record it off as an every. We'll give it do. I know it came a little late. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Okay, so okay. We've, got we've got something new something to share wait, with wait, you Wait, 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 Before we do that, what? what? thank you for your questions, everyone. Oh, yeah. We have more. How can you send us your questions? You can email them to us, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com. Get to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums. Post them up there. Or, oh, of course, call GM Dave on Skype and leave a voicemail. We'd love to hear your dulcy, dusky tones on the podcast. And, uh, That's right. So that That's we right. have one in queue, like so, Stephen like, James, Dave, so, um, like Stephen James, who's going to be waiting for episode 160. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but thank you guys for the questions. We want them. Keep them coming. Indeed. All right.
0: So now I can say we have a new we have a new segment, um, and it's called Droid Works, and you might know it as a. Somebody who sounds familiar. Perhaps. 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 Yeah. So we're just going to go with it right now and uh, see you guys back in about five minutes.
2: Welcome, sentient. You have entered the droid factory. Please enjoy your visit, but for your own security, try not to leave any dermal secretions on your assembly tools. You biologicals are so untidy, and the HK models in particular don't like that. Today we will be discussing a very peculiar little model, the M1N0Q rangefinder class probe droid. This is a tiny, hovering, fourth-degree droid with a heuristic processor. It's designed to provide covert tactical assistance on a battlefield or infiltration mission, relaying optical data back to its strategic partner from hard-to-reach vantage points. A built-in and highly optimized repulsor lift unit provides an operational ceiling of about 55 meters under ideal conditions. Visually, this tiny droid features a head that resembles a set of electrobinoculars with a rounded chassis beneath and two nimble manipulator arms mounted on either side of this floating half-torso. Sensor panels Sensor and p- antennae round out the unusual appearance, but the unit also includes a side-mounted scomp link and a multi-spectrum searchlight for occasions when visibility is more important than secrecy. Standard Armament is an integrated ion pistol, ostensibly included to permit the droid to remotely disable electronic security systems. That having been noted, it's also excellent for disabling defensive droids and automatic countermeasures. Barbaric, if you ask me. Internally, the M1N0Q has a built-in comlink with a sensor link system to relay targeting data and facilitate strategic triangulation. Naturally, the unit has dark vision optics and an improved sensor package, plus locked access to prevent tampering. The droid is programmed to understand your basic language, but typically is only capable of replying in binary. As if your kind would care to hear what he has to say anyway. Now, the M1 series probe droid is a fine little model, and quite reliable in a pinch. However, it is a pricey model. The basic retail value of this droid is 20,675 galactic credits. A medium-sized model would only cost you approximately 13,375 credits. The reason for this difference is the intense miniaturization of the various propulsion systems and the repulsor lift engine that gives this droid such a loft. On the bright side, the droid's tiny size does make it very difficult to spot in battlefield, and even harder to target. hush down, you under-oiled scrap-sifters! My human counterpart would like to speak. Alright folks, time for some game stats. Minox got a 6 strength, which is pretty crappy, he's not going to be towing around much gear. However, he's got a 17 dex, making him pretty nimble, an intelligence of 14, so he's reasonably helpful and intelligent, a 17 wisdom that makes him quite perceptive, and a base 10 charisma. He's got 24 hit points, a speed of 6 with a hovering locomotion, and absolutely no base attack bonus. He's only a level 1 scout. Damage threshold of only 10 means he cannot take much punishment at all. You'll want to keep him well out of range of any potential threats. His defenses are a fortitude of 10, reflex of 18, will of 14. Minox also got a number of train skills that are going to help you out. His initiative score of plus 8 is pretty decent. Knowledge tactics at plus 7. Mechanics at plus 7. He's got perception of plus 13 thanks to skill focus. Pilot, plus 8. Stealth, plus 18, thanks to a plus 10 size modifier and training, so he's going to be very hard to spot. He's also got Survival at plus 8, and Use Computer at plus 7. This droid was built not just to watch a character's back, but also to help him out in any sort of skillful situation, from flying a ship to fixing it. For that matter, he's also pretty handy at short-circuiting various security systems, and what he can't do with mechanics, he can always blast with his little ion pistol. Minoc's first feat is Sensor Link, which allows him to share his sensor data with the receiving computer. Very handy if you're using him as a spy cam to see what's on the other side of that wall and target your enemies. If you happen to have the opportunity to level this guy up, I highly recommend dipping into the 4th degree droid talent tree. Target acquisition and target lock are both essential if you want to weaponize this guy. For feats, he's going to start out with Acute Senses to allow him to reroll those perception checks. But, again, if you do get the chance to level him up, I suggest Evasion. That'll help him avoid some area effect damage. Minog is a cute little droid, and he can be an exceptionally helpful one. His friendly demeanor is sure to endear him to a party of galactic heroes. Thank you for visiting the Droid Works. Please watch your step on your way out and do come again.
1: See, that works right there. Very well done. You know, I I listened to the email and I was like, and Wes is like, I don't know if this is any good, guys. Uh, do you think this will work in the show? I'm like, yeah! <laughs> I can't wait to hear more. It kind of reminds, reminds me of, me uh, of a species, species menagerie, menagerie for, for, droids. for droids. Damn right. And it's about time. <laughs> <laughs> So big props to West. Thank you, sir, Mr. West, uh, for what uh, will, hope to, will hopefully be a, a uh, long-running and excellent segment on the Order 66 podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking uh, of segments have that have been long-running, long running, we don't do it very often, often, but often? oh, we oh, have oh, a well, good, one. good one, and we'll do this.
2: There is a great disturbance in the force. I got a bad feeling about this.
1: You must unlearn what you have learned. When could days go by? Love this segment. So, dude, well, We got an email from a newer listener, a guy named James Pillman, um, who related a rather distressing game situation. Take it away, sir. Yes,
0: he did. He says, GM Dave and GM Chris, and that's us. I need your advice. I've been in a Saga game for about half a year. Year and a half. Now. And I think our GM is losing his mind. <laughs> None of us None had of, any fun in the last no session. Fun. Our team Our of team rebel infiltrators was sent to Raxus Prime uh, to extract information from an old hermit who lives there. Who lives. And when and we when got there, we, got, we just couldn't we just find, him. find him. Even with we, a really good really gather information rolls and a lot of investigation. investigation. We, ended up, we ended up, after a after long, a long session, session with dead, with dead ends, end. In the junk palace palace of some kind of cyborg droid droid human exile. (laughs) And we enter his private rooms only to have the door shut behind us. Yes. All the other doors slam slam shut shut suddenly in a squad of mixed mixed droids, lethal droids droids like droidicas, junk golems, and super war droids droids pile in and and start blasting at us. We're running for cover even though there's hardly any. We barely damage these things. Things look bad. So our mechanic our runs mechanic to the door that we came in through and says he wants to disable the lock to get it open. But the GM says the machinery is encased in some kind of protective casing or something and has to be cut through. Oh, God. So our Jedi in hiding runs to the door and tries to cut through with his lightsaber. The GM says the lightsaber winks out when it touches the metal made of cortosis. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. The machinery casing is also made of it eventually we all die and and the gm ends the session telling us it's not over but we're all pissed off every idea we came up with to get out of the room he just shut down and there was no way we could have beaten that encounter i feel railroaded completely he wanted us to die he got pissy too when we all went down and we were like what are we supposed to do is he just losing interest how do i tell him we're pissed off help me order six you're my only hope Here's the GM <clears throat> Dave knee jerk of the day. Find a new GM, god damn
1: it. Cuz this harsh. guy
0: sucks. I'm sorry. I don't often get I don't often get really ramped up about bad GMs, but that's one of the worst stories I've ever heard. Ever. That's and we've been doing harsh. this a long time.
1: Um that might almost beat the, uh, the the group that died from falling damage doing something heroic on the, the sail bar. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. Um, it seems like your GM, uh, God, James, is is, is probably going to have you all wake up, like wake up in jail, maybe to further the plot. But it also sounds like he wanted you to do something you didn't do, either because you didn't think of it or because he failed to give you the clues to think of it. Um, to, to play the... the yin to dave yang look every, every gm makes mistakes and accidentally overly lethal encounters are one of them. okay Droidicus, for example are a um, much tougher than a cl4 that they are if the party doesn't combat them exactly the right way or have the means to do so
0: oh uh, wait a second uh, let me let me let, let, me, channel let me channel the chat, chat room it says the, after, a, after year a year and a half that mistake,
1: that, mistake that, will still happen, still happen. yeah I, I, I do have to agree with that so um in that vein, it sounds like he's venting some frustrations he might have had for some time. Um, is your GM burnout? I mean, dude, it, it happens, man. It it happens, but you're still stuck in the role of the GM, and you can't back out, even if you're tired of the game. So, what can you, James, do about it? Um, <clears throat> step one: talk to your GM. Uh, sounds stupid, but nobody ever does it. They just send us emails and get pissy. <laughs> Talk to your GM privately, privately. Do not do it in front of the group, goddammit. I know we've said this before, but this is so important. If the group confronts him, he's going to get defensive, he's going to get pissy. I've seen it happen before. You talk to him, honestly, one-on-one. Tell him you didn't have much fun last session. And why? Find out if he's got some master plan. And if he does, let him know how you guys felt getting railroaded in this whole situation. And if he doesn't, and maybe he wanted you guys to do something you didn't, well, him know you all didn't know what the hell to do. And maybe a hint or two might have been nice. Um, step two is to look for a deeper problem, man. If you honestly think, James, that he's tired and burnout, ask him, hey, man, are, are you still cool GMing? Are you just getting tired of it? Be honest with him and be his friend. Be concerned, not judgmental. All right? Approach him not, hey, I'm pissed off. Approach it of, hey, I'm, I'm concerned about you and our game, man. Are you Are you getting tired of this? And if he says yes, then what? You said, it, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Find another GM. Maybe yourself. Maybe you can take over the existing campaign or start a new one. Maybe he's just tired and wants to play. Um, but either way, that that's like GM douchebagger of very high degrees. <laughs> Lordy mercy. GMDB. GMDB. I, I don't know, man. Any other advice you can give? I and mean, what what do you think of the situation?
0: I think I think terrible. Terrible. I mean, it sounds like they got absolutely railroaded from the time they landed. They couldn't find the guy. I mean, you know, you roll well. You roll well, you're finding
1: a guy. There's no reason
0: why you shouldn't, or at least find a clue or something.
1: It sounds like like they rolled well enough to maybe have succeeded, but it wasn't part of his story. And so just hand wave the roll as a failure, which is just BS. If that's the case and you don't want don't let him roll. Walk him through. Well, that's fine.
0: Hey, so you so find you, the guy, yeah, and you put him in the same have
1: situation. Have I mean, seriously. Yeah, I, you give him at give least them the them, idea the that idea they succeeded at something. Exactly. Um, anyway,
0: I would like to would know like this, GM's this GM's name GM, and uh, Skype, Skype address, and so I can send Skype him a it, care it, package it, of a piece it, of crap. It, of crap. <laughs> well, say.
1: as always... You're only getting one side of the story. Um, but I hope I hope our advice is giving you a little something to work off of, James. Um, and again, to just talk to your GM. See if you can figure it out. And honestly, it might—it sounds like it might be time to change GMs. It um, doesn't mean he's a bad guy. It could just mean that he's completely burnt out. He also could have had a bad night. That happens, too. Hey, that's right. Hey.
0: His wife might His have wife. cut him off. <laughs> Wait, never, never mind. mind. It's easy. It's easy. He's a
1: GM. He's probably not it's married fine. Hey, I take offense to that remark, sir. <laughs> See, a good GM starts banging his players. <sighs> <laughs> oh, Lordy. Thank you for the Win Good Games Go Bad segment. We greatly do appreciate it. If you guys have any ridiculously nasty things you'd like us to talk about, give us some advice, maybe in some difficult patches in your games, let us know. Ah, oh, yes. Uh-huh.
0: All right, we've got a new segment yet again. And here it is. <laughs>
1: I want to blow a load of destiny in his face. Are you going to spend the destiny point? No!
2: Not 20, baby! Not 20!
0: Hey, boys, it's time to play. Crimson Steele says he loves the music, and it's funny because he's the guy that, ing- that that gave us the idea to do this segment in the first place.
1: <laughs> and I love it. So tonight we are kicking off a brand new segment called Time to Play, which, as you say, Dave, started off by an, an erstwhile email from Crimson Steel himself. What did he write, sir?
0: He wrote this. He said, being new to the site, I've gone back and listened. To a lot of the older episodes in one of them you talked about running uh, you talked about running session on rat ghoul infested station which is still one of my favorite encounters ever that's that's Dave saying I love the idea and I'm going to totally steal it for my game now it's been many years since you ran that session and I'm wondering if you had any advice tricks or tips for running a horror themed adventure like that
1: why yes Crimson <laughs> Yes we do. So I think the thing is you know I got this email and it really got me thinking like over the years we've given tips and advice on many different episodes uh, of the show about running adventures, following themes and occasionally we'll get an email like yours man asking for a very specific framework of game theme to discuss. What we found over the years is that there are ideas tips tricks and best practices to deliver on specific themes in a session and it might just be a damn good radio To delve into them. Are you planning on running a horror-themed session? Space Cowboy, Warzone Combat, Gumshoe Investigation, Bodyguard Protection. To be clear, these kinds of themes give a real feeling to a session, but they are independent of any era and, in some respects, any system. That's right. It could be an actor,
0: and then we have to find the MacGuffin. (laughs) Oh, wait, never mind. We've done that.
1: Bottom line, Dave, is that a good theme can give your players memories of the session that last for a very long time. You just said a minute ago, this, you know, that, that horror session was like one of your favorites. And, and, and it can give them a new and invigorating experience each time they play. So we're going to give you our advice tonight, Crimson uh, and, and the rest of you, um, and a pretty subtle brain dump. Because tonight's, tonight, it is time to play horror.
2: So.
0: Yeah, that was Dave missing a cue by about two
1: and a half seconds. <laughs> it's all for game, man. It's the weeks without a show. Uh, but we're about to make up for it. So, dude, tonight we're going to talk about the horror theme. I'm so excited about this. Um, <clears throat> and I think we really need to start our discussion today of talking about the essentials of the horror thing and some of the th- things that we really need to understand about this theme before we start talking about how to use it in the game. Right, right. Um, horror role-playing is not for the very young, not for the heart, at least not if it's done right. Hell, there are are entire role-playing systems devoted to horror. Really good ones, like Project Nemesis, Dread, Dagger Counter, fantastic if you haven't played that one, Dark Heresy, uh, another, and, of course, the infamous Call of Cthulhu, one of the first. Uh, These systems are centered around horror role-playing. The real question, and what we're going to take a look at, is how do you bring that same feel into saga-edition? And there are a few things that we, we need to, to talk about and, and clear up, up front, man. And the first one is is one of the more important things that you need to keep in your mind and is really going to inform a lot of the discussion we're going to be having later. And what is that, Dave?
0: Uh, this would uh, be something please, that we call the paradox of the unknown. And it's um, uh, it's been said that a detailed rule system makes horror harder.
1: Say that five times faster. Um, um, as, as so much um, of, of good horror good theme horror
0: deals with the unknown, and, and hard and hard solid, hard rules solid rules handicap hand that. that. Mm-hmm. And honestly, yeah. I have to agree. Oh, uh, really? The, I,
1: disagree. I disagree. Really? Really? Yeah. Okay, let's okay. talk through that then. Well, I think with, with proper GMing, a solid story, good tone, I think you can get that feeling anywhere, regardless of how detailed the rules are. Okay. okay. How right, do I combine that? But but I think you're right to an extent. I think there's some truth behind this precept that leads us into a challenge that you need to be aware of. Is a GM.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: so let me tell you about the fear that fear.
0: came in, as a part yeah, of our deal. Is we didn't know what was going to happen next. Exactly. All right, we were right. And we were completely surprised by it.
1: And now, that's what you want to try and capture. That's that fear. Yeah. That's where that's where the paradox of the unknown comes into play. Right.
0: Right. Now, caveat here is that this can become absolutely annoying
1: if it's not done correctly. I know it's like a, it's like a two-year-old who's constantly jumping out at mom and dad because it made them laugh once, and they keep doing it every five minutes. Um,
0: yeah, bogus horror movies do that to you. You just exactly. completely get annoyed.
1: Oh my god, really, really? Come on, we, you ever watch, You ever watch a scary movie? And you know that someone's going to jump out at it any minute. Yeah, that, that's kind of where it can become annoying in an RPG. Right. Okay, you, so
0: <laughs> I love the I love it when you absolutely know something's gonna
1: jump out and then nothing jumps out. Yeah, see now that that's something useful and you can use that because what it does is it sets up an expectation, you deny it, and it makes the something out of nowhere that much more powerful. Right. Um, so there we go. Ah, yes. So paradox of the unknown. All right. Number two, essential of horror theme. We gotta talk about this up front. Let's talk about gore, Dave. Gore, Gore. Blood, blood, and guts. And bodies. For oh, uh, some yes. people, this is horror. For others, a truly fearful story can have none of it. Some of the scariest movies I've, I've ever seen have never had blood in them. Um, But you as a GM need to figure out from the get-go what your group is going to tolerate and what is too much if there is such a thing, <laughs> depending on who you talk to. Right, right. I mean, at its core, Star Wars doesn't have a whole lot of blood or broken bodies. I mean, the only blood I ever remember seeing in Star Wars was the original Episode Four when Obi Wan cut off uh, that dude's arm in the Cantina. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, and in the in the edited version, there was no blood. So you know, it's there. It's not. It's not part of Star Wars' core precept. So it can be rather jarring to introduce copious amounts of gold or visceral murder into what is traditionally a family frenzy, family-friendly galaxy far far away. Oh, family frenzy. Family frenzy. frenzy. We'll we'll come to that. That's another type of horror. Um, (laughs) But if it's done judiciously, Dave, it's exactly this kind of jarring aspect that can kick off the tone for a horror session in a wonderful way. Do you remember when we had that session at the Red Cool station you guys weren't expecting it. What's the first thing you found? Do you remember? No, no. Oh. You guys were going through the hallways. It was dark. The station was 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 totally dark, and you found a body. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think I remember I think that I
1: remember. now. And 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 I had a nice description written up, and we'll talk about this. But and they, they turned it over, and they found this eviscerated corpse. And as I described, like every single one of you, your brows started furrow, and it was just the last thing you were expecting. Like, you know I mean, even I could tell even some of them were like, you know, you expect to turn over and seem to be blaster marks or scorching. Oh, it's a dead guy. looks like He was shot. But no, like you know, his entrails ripped out completely. And that's, you know, it it it, 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 it totally caught you guys off guard. That's right. That's
0: I, right. I think I, I, I <laughs> issue the, uh, there's something there's alive so in alive. here. <laughs> yes.
1: There's something alive in here. So, okay. Uh, the Paradox of the Unknown, very important. Gore, very important precept. Figure it out the front. What is perhaps the most important thing for a horror session in terms of those core precepts, Dave?
0: Dude, dude fear, fear. Uh, uh, some would, say, some would say, that say that this is the true definition of a horror game is that it evokes fear. fear. Uh, obviously, um, no one's getting fear actually fearful, but it's the same feeling you get watching a really scary movie fear. that we're talking about, right?
1: If you're lucky, yeah. Yeah. So just remember, a seasoned horror buff is not going to bat an eyelash at
0: something that will make an 8-year-old wet themselves. (laughs) This isn't an issue of age so much as exposure and fear fear threshold. As such, it's uh, imperative imperative to judge your players really well and know what their own thresholds are. Mm. Uh, Uh, The really uh, complex uh, scenario uh, is if you have a low-threshold player in your group and another who wears horror T-shirts to the session. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. so the so, best way to deal with this is to play the lowest common denominator. Even if the horror buff isn't feeling the fear, he can at least appreciate it.
1: Agreed. You know yeah. the the last huge precept, and I, I really struggle to put this in here, but I want to stress how important this is, and it has multiple meanings here. Darkness. This is a very important factor to anything horror any horror themed game. People and characters are and should be afraid of the dark. For very good reasons. Things are in the dark. As a start, if you're playing Saga as a GM, get familiar with the game's darkness and low light rules. Uh, read them again, make sure you know them backwards and forwards. Don't need to turn to a page. Make some notes if you have to. Darkness should not only be incredibly present in all your encounters to a large degree, but your narrative as well. And if possible, the room you're playing in. We'll come to that. Remember the eeriest part about darkness as well. What you can hear, but not see. You know, when I'm alone in my bed and I hear something in the house and I was asleep and the dogs are in the room with me, I, I freak out. <laughs> maybe, maybe usually it's just like a branch hitting the window, but I freak out. You know what I mean? Having characters hear things that they can't see, it adds a lot, uh, not only to the tone, but also help clue your players into what they might face and how to prepare. For it. Yep. So there um, we go. So these are, these are some core precepts. You need to keep them in your mind as you're building this game. How are you going to incorporate these things? Are you going to incorporate these things in the sense of gore? And how are you going to keep traditionally bad stuff from becoming cliche? Yeah. So how do you build a session, session, sir? Or- Ooh, okay, this is good. Stuff. All right. So a good, good horror session. It's really not easy to pull off, right? It requires a solid session storyline narrative and unfolding of events. Like most stories, even if it's part of a larger campaign, plot, the session should have in your writing a definitive beginning, middle, and end. Every session should. But the uniqueness of the horror theme that dictates specific things happen during those beginning, middle, and end phases. You got a lot of options, but some core things that you should really consider. Now, we're going to talk about each section of your session. Um, and let's let's start with the beginning, Dave, because here here's where you really need to get things right. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, um, totally. A really good horror session happens when it's the last thing your players expect. Um, yeah, I remember talking to you guys after that Rat Ghoul session station, and I, and I don't think any of you were expecting the time of that session to be like that. Um, I think it surprised you guys. Um, and, and a lot of it had to do with the beginning. The players shouldn't start the game knowing it's going to be a horror session. They should stumble into it, just like the characters in a scary movie. In the beginning section of the session, the party should be given a task to undertake it, um, as they normally would. Only when they get there, and they're about to accomplish the task, they realize that things have gone horribly wrong. So what are what are some good uh, some good examples of of ways in which the beginning can happen Dave I mean I mean we we got a couple that we can talk about but, but what are some what are some common things that can give we in the beginning of the session Well okay well, so
0: let's let, <clears throat> we talked earlier we talked about, that we started, we started one with a, with a body but you could also it's start gone, with a, the, a a simple a task simple that's, task gone, that's wrong, gone wrong right, right. so, so this is a really good way to start because it sets expectation that you can then break. So they need to, let's say, a party needs to collect a crate of supplies from a research station. Only when they arrive, they figure out it's been overrun by rat ghouls or zombies or something. Ah, yes. The party is supposed to discreetly investigate a dinner party as disguised guests. Yeah. Little do they know that they're... You know, the host you know, knows, they're, knows they're, coming they're coming and has prepared and has a prepared death trap, trap maze for them. For
1: them. <laughs> um, yeah. a simple task turn wrong is a very common way to start a horror and it, it at least that whole unexpectedness. Now, like we said earlier one of my favorites is a body. Um, it was one of the best turning points for a horror beginning. Uh, usually, for the corpse. Maybe it's somebody random. Uh, some important, per- or, or it could be some important person the PCs were expecting to be dealing with. Um, notes on this. The body's state should be shocking to the party uh, and possibly provide clues and hints as to what's really going on here. It's like if you guys had found a dead body, Dave, it's like, oh, wow, he died. I wonder how he died. But the state in which you found the body immediately informed you as to a general nature of something really bad and nasty was happening here. right. Um, right. The body can also incentivize players to commit to the session, especially if it was an important friend or family member or a crux NPC to the story. At that point, it's not just, hey, what's going on here? But, my God, what happened here? Well, he's dead. Oh, no, we have to figure this out. It's it's that incentive. So you can make that somebody important, maybe contact their to talk to in the first place, and it it can really help kick that story off. Right. Right.
0: Um, So Uh, think of the opposite of uh, of the The body. And, and let's call this let's the call mastermind. The mat- Think soft. Think saw. Uh huh. This almost like the almost Maze thing, but uh instead uh, of the PCs the discreetly PCs being placed into a horrific screen situation screen and discovering, discovering what's going on like up, Resident Evil. Resident they're forcibly placed in a situation invasion. given the rules given of engagement. engagement. The fear, the comes, fear in comes in knowing know. but being unprepared for it. If you do this. You'll need to find yep. a way In, to enforce, enforce. Helplessness. helplessness to create to fear. fear. How? Uh, well, how? Well, how you how. ask? Let me say. Let me say.
2: Uh, uh, take away their uh, weapons their or gear.
0: Gear. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, reasonably, yeah. at least. Yeah. Forcing yeah. them to forcing survive them. on their own wits it. and what they can and what and salvage that or that that scavenge I from what's at hand. What's
1: at hand. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, give, uh, them uh, give them a time. Put them on a time talk, you know, if you will. You know, give them a certain, amount, a certain of time. amount of time. You know, your you wife know, will you die in an, an been hour. Been You've been infected, infected with the radical with the virus, virus, and you'll kill each other in less than an hour. The building has a raw, has a bomb rigged to the reactor core, and it's going to blow up in forty five minutes. Right.
1: You know, something like that. So these are these are good ways to get the begin going. Um, you know, all of them they're, they're they're done after you take that dramatic turn players are not expecting it, but you now set the stage. When that happens, we move into the middle of the session. I mean, true true horror. Um, when we get to the middle of a story session, true horror has a complication. Okay, and this is something a little unusual, uh, not unique, but 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 needs to be there for horror. Complication we wrinkle is thrown into just really mess things up and screw with the players. Uh, You see this in horror films all the time, and it really depends on how the story progresses and how you frame it, but what's important is that the PCs need to think that they know what's going on, perhaps even developing a plan to deal with it, but at a crucial moment, you pull the rug out from under them. The GM changes the rules of the game, so to speak, introduces new information, a revelation of some kind, um, or some new development that completely throws everything into the blender and changes it. Um, Ah, yes, like the evil twin. <laughs> All right, talk to me about the E twin method. This is, this is great,
0: so wonderfully cliche, and really ratchets up the drama, right? Yeah. Uh, as an overall objective of the story, you know, or a goal to the PCs they've, they've been, you know, working with or working to rescue an important NPC, perhaps one that's going to give them clues, or one that cries for help that's, that they're trying to save. But. When the crucial moment of truth comes, you discover that they are the zombie lord or they are the crime boss who wants them dead or the mad scientist who resurrected the rat rat ghouls or the child that's been possessed by a dark Sith lord spirit of unfathomable evil. (laughs) Uh, If you have a player who's tired of his character, have him turn on the party. You know, he's the evil behind it all. It's his fault. This can be fun if you if it's done properly, especially like if a player's like moving away or you're gonna you know you're gonna you're gonna lose him or something, or you know even if it's just a player you could trust has a good poker face, maybe he's possessed, maybe he truly is evil uh either the p c s redeem him or they kill him or you know you've done this before they th- he was overcome by the power of a staff that he touched and he didn't have the willpower to overcome it, and he got turned and all of a
1: sudden his character sheet went to the g m and now that was it. Yeah, it worked for that session. Um, yeah, but I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot of things here. The evil twin method, basically, as you know, the, 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 the person you thought you knew isn't really that person you knew. Um, and right. it's it's just this classic, wonderfully cliche horror trope, and it's a great wrinkle for the middle of the session. Um, the other one I like is, is uh, it's kind of hard to pull off, the, 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 I call it the hopeless solution.
0: Ah, um, yes, I hear Gimli like, in my mind. <laughs> surely, surely, a chance of death or something. Small chance of success. Let's go.
1: <laughs> if this is done incorrectly, it can really piss off your players. But it is very horror, and it can add much-needed hopelessness to the fear. Basically, you know, as your heroes progress to start to discover what's going on, have them find a silver bullet to the scenario. All right, you know, the the the, the vaccine, the 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 silver bullet. <laughs> you know, ah, this is how we're going to win. But when they put it to use. It either doesn't work or it has the exact opposite effect. Uh, maybe due to, to, to chance, poor planning, or best of all, bad information from an evil twin mastermind.
0: <laughs> see, look at that. Let's see how you did that.
1: Um, so, you know, like I said, you know, maybe the vaccine you found the zombies, slash rat ghoul slash mindless killer virus doesn't work. Or worse yet, it brings on more aggression or, or causes an immediate transformation and whoever you give it to. Um, the super weapon that you developed or found doesn't work. When the time comes, uh, the reactor that you rigged to blow has deactivated. All right. Oh, no. What do we do now? Ultimately, though, it forces the party to find another solution. You see this in horror stories all the time. We, we think we know what's going on. We figure out a way to solve it. And oh, crap, that didn't work.
0: Oh, okay. and by oh, the way, but, but, if you're a if GM, you're, uh, make sure and give them another solution. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 not, and a not a cortosis covered, cortosis thing, covered thing, thing that has to be cut through.
1: Cut through. Okay. Absolutely. But it, it's forcing the players to. To go on what path they have it solved, and then force to, to to rethink it go go somewhere else. The the hopeless solution happens frequently, usually leading to heroic selflessness on perhaps at the uh, on behalf of the party. But um, that that can actually be a wrinkle if you if you don't do the equal twin method or any of the other things we're going to be talking about next. The hopeless solution always works to prevent that that confusion and that wrinkle in the, in the game that a horror session really needs. But what's the other thing we can recognize? Uh, a third uh, party, party. Hmm. introduce a introduce third party into the party. scenario
0: that isn't uh, that either you know has been benevolent or or has selfish motives uh, um, and is unaware of what's really going on. Okay. A um, classic example is like a government entity that shows up on the uh, to contain hostiles or rescue an important diplomat and is completely unaware of the PC's present. Um, as well as the true nature of the threat. So they regard the PCs as evil initially at least or an annoyance at best at least until they all start dying. <laughs> uh, then there's, you know, the hostile force intent on being the horrific evil for their own ends. You know, the uh, the empire shows up planning to capture the rat ghouls or dark force spirit for scientific experimentation and military development. And of course, Only the PCs knows that it would just going to end badly. (laughs) Now they have to stop the Empire from unwittingly unleashing the evil on the galaxy and here come the monkeys with the rage virus. Uh, You can twist this around by making the hostile force have benevolent intentions but arrogant to the point of stupidity. Uh, (laughs) We
1: see this in horror films all the time.
0: Yeah. Like a rebel squadron convinced that they can harness the evil to fight the Empire. Despite the PC's protest. Maybe maybe a guy who knows, I can have the precious.
1: Yes, Bormir, the classic example. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it's one of those things that, uh, if, if, if I love that twist, Dave, because what you can do is then put the party at odds with their benefactors. You know what I mean? Uh, you know mm-hmm. if if the if party themselves are rebel agents, and it, again it's this rebel badass squad shows up like, no we're taking this for ourselves, fight the empire no, that's a horrible idea. And then, yeah
0: So, so uh, how do we end it?
1: Oh okay, okay, good, good ending. so we've had our beginning, we've set things up, we've surprised them with the core session we've gone through the plot we've had our good twist, okay we've had our good complication, our wrinkle ending it ending a horror RPG session can be very tricky. And this is a huge distinction. You guys notice we've called on other horror resources, classic films, unlike a horror film, you know, an RPG ends, needs to end very differently because in a horror movie. There's what usually only one survivor, two survivors, maybe. (laughs) Yes. You kind of want your PCs to survive all of them. (laughs) So keep that in mind. Um, but hey, that doesn't mean you can't quickly wound one or three or five of them. Um, <laughs> but you've got to give them, it's like you said earlier, Dave, you have to give them the means to stop the evil or to escape from that mastermind. So there's several ways you can do this. Um, the first one, I, I love it, and it the, 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 cl- the classic trope, uh, nuke the site from orbit, it's the only way to be sure. <laughs> um, In other words, the situation has gotten so terribly out of hand that the PCs realize destruction of the area, the entire area, is the only viable option. Uh, What makes this a true horror adventure, as opposed to a button push, however, is the complexity of this task and the risks involved. For example, uh, the destruction is going to happen, but a rescue must happen first. Aliens being the classic example, and of course where we get the trope title from. Perhaps the third party you have one has a cruiser in orbit and they've already launched a planetary bombardment, uh, but your friends are still down there. You've got 30 minutes to get them out, or you and they will become extra crispy. Um, another good example is that you have to cause this massive destruction yourself. Uh, but yeah, the reactor is in the bowels of the complex and surrounded by things that go bump in the night. Uh, not only do you have to blow it up, uh, but you have to get out before it all goes boom. And then you you've ratcheted up that that sort of that tension. Um, and you've got a cool end scenario you can have too, which is actually rife for scale challenge territory. So, okay, aside from new side you to be sure. What else do we got?
0: Well, uh, you could go one on one with the big bad.
1: Hmm. Happens in horror movies all the time.
0: Yep. So, when the tipping point is reached, the PCs have to confront the cause of the evil, perhaps out of vengeance or because it's the only way out. Maybe they have an escape option, but they know that the evil will continue unless they do something about it. Mm -hmm. This confrontation will often be, by necessity, not very horrific, but if you're doing this, the PC should finally have reached the point of preparation where they know what's really going on, or at least who, and how to stop it. Yeah. And it becomes an integral part of the closure of the session.
1: Exactly. Um, And the last thing... It, which you can actually have, uh, even using the other two scenarios, is what I like to call the post-death gasp. <gasps> Wonderfully cliche, you know, from, from the... You, you should always consider doing this in your ending, always. After the party is victorious or has escaped, the evil still survives. You know, you have the, the, the wrecking, ruined, wrecked ruins of the facility. It's kind of smoldering ash and ruins and this... And bursts up, ah! <laughs> You know, um you know, or uh, we we we've blown the facility up, we've downloaded all their computer files. Yeah, wait. It looks like there's another lab, you know. Um or it could be something as simple as a big bad getting away to harrow the PCs another the day. Um you know, or maybe you, you you blow everything up, you cure the plague, and you return to your ship, only to find an escape pod missing from your ship and a trail of slime leading through the ship corridors, you know. And so you it, oh God it's out there somewhere, you know, whatever it was. And um, this can actually, you know, move on and and allow you to invoke a a long-running big bad in your campaign um, or a situation to come at again. This is not something that every session you encounter with that entity should be horrific, uh, but it's a good way to introduce a really memorable NPC, you know? Yep, Yep. Right, so to cap it off, let's talk about tips and tricks. Let's talk about some hardcore physical things that you, as a GM, can concretely do in both the story and the running of your game to really capture a horror feeling, or allow the rules to shine in their capture of it.
2: Uh, well, what
0: are we
1: looking at first, man?
0: All right. So all don't right. do not do ever not underestimate not, the power it, of it, peripheral, peripheral sensations. It. So, so, if you can put your you can player play in the mindset the mind- of a horror, horror situation, game. that yeah. makes all the difference in making a good horror game. And there's some things you can do to actually ratchet that up, like scary music, for example. Or if you've never used a soundtrack in your session before, horror theme is a good place a to good- start. Uh, yeah. Uh, use orchestral music without any without- words, just ambiance. Scary video game soundtracks are available. They're great They're at this.
2: Perfect.
0: You know, yeah. resort to the resort Exorcist to if the, you have to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they can uh, really get your players but, into the mind uh, frame, right? If you want right, something Star Wars specific, you can, um, uh, you can find you can the Republic find commando, the video commando video game soundtrack. soundtrack. And, uh, and Jesse Harlan's, Jesse Harlan's a fucking Harlan genius, genius, genius. So this, uh, this soundtrack has soundtrack. some of the eerie scores uh, in it for uh, a Star Wars game. And,
1: do you remember the soundtrack we had? The station encounter? I, don't, I remember don't remember it. it. Um, I
0: just remember the ambience, the ambience being set. Being set.
1: So well, I was like, it, it was creepy. I mean, I mean afterwards, like I know and a couple others were like, yeah, dude, it was the music cat, especially was like it was the music. God, it just it made my skin crawl and goose pimples come up. Um, I use the Republic Commando video game soundtrack for that session. Um, Perfect. Perfect. J- Jesse Harlan is brilliant. So if you can find it.
0: So along with so, music, Dick. Your 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 audio sensory audio. is your is visual. visual. So, uh, so see if you can make low light movie. wherever you play. Uh, um, uh, possible for people possible to still read their books, so obviously. Use a table. Need. But make it as but dark as you can reasonably make it. make it. It affects the it affects. players. Uh, the uh, best setup that I've seen is all the lights in the room turned off except for spotlight-style table lamps that illuminate the table. And that's it.
1: Yeah, I was there for that. And it was it was really cool because it was like all you could see was the table and everything like ar- ar- behind the players' heads and backs was completely dark. Um, yep, shockingly effective.
0: If you really have time to go for the the whole uh, gusto of, of of making a soundtrack, you know, throw in an odd scream or a you know if you're going to use rat ghouls or something, just throw in something just completely out of nowhere. In the middle of the music, then hope and hope a, a player hears it. Don't draw attention to it. Just, you know, you're you know, maybe you know when the cue is, or, or you know, based on the music or something, and you kind of just stop yeah, talking just, just enough think, to hear uh, a ah, in the background.
2: <laughs> now,
1: sound effects are a really good part of this. And, dude, I mean, I know players can use soundboards, or, or you know, we talked about the program sirenscape before as a way of kind of mix mashing sounds. Dude, you're you're a master of this better than anyone I know. I mean, what are some good sites off the top of your head you could recommend for people to find unusual sound effects or things that could work in a scenario like this?
2: Um, <laughs>
0: God, I don't of, off, the off the top of my head, my head, whatever. Wow, that was messy. Sorry. Um, uh, off the top of my head, I you know I don't remember. Um, for things, I, I I use Radio Daddy a lot for. Uh, for various uh, sound effects sound and facts. beds and all this beds other stuff the, uh, um, but it's but it's geared it's a little gear. bit more toward your professional d j type DJ. stuff and but it's good it's soundscape good. obviously it's is good <laughs> um, you know what i've you know downloaded what recently free. is uh is spotify,
1: spotify. Uh, so God, spotify's great
0: yeah yeah there's lots there's of lot free sites out site. there Um uh, sound Snap. Sounds- is another one. There's, another one. Uh, uh, there's a there's, there's a Creative, creative Commons site out there. I, and I think it's I, I don't remember it's what called, it's called, but it's all uh, it's all freeware uh, stuff uh, that people have made and put yeah. out there. Free sound. Free, yeah, that's it. Yeah, thank, that, you, that, thank you, Fiddleback. Yep. Freesound.com. Free sound. But yeah, there's there's uh, there's several out there that you can, and it's all commercially available now via the internet. Very easy to get to.
1: Excellent. So peripheral sensation, very important. Other concrete things you can do as a GM. Um, and Crimson, you know, you're know, you asking how to run this specifically. I can't stress this enough. Map tools and silhouettes. When you play, many of your encounters, if not all of them, should be in low light or complete darkness. You know, again, we said darkness was one of the primary tenets of horror. Again, Really familiarize yourself with the low light and dark rules in the saga, and more importantly, know ahead of time exactly what sources of illumination the PCs will have. If they're using glow rods or torches, create wire silhouettes, okay, um, or paper cutouts for that illumination space, and put them on the map. All right. So you know, like obviously, you know, if you have a glow rod, you know it's like a flashlight it only illuminates a, a certain like the cone like or line of an area move that around let the player attack to their mini base and move it around that way you only put on the map what they can see with their light source it's really not easy to pull off but it can add, but if you do it it can add a lot of wonderful new complexity to the game and that feeling of in-game darkness and and, and just what that means um you know, it really, you know, instead of seeing this giant map, they can only see what they can see. Uh, and it, it, it's it's tough to do, but it will add a lot to feeling. Uh, if you're running an online game, there's a lot of map tools out there that they can do this for you with all the more features. Map tool is the classic one, but I highly recommend, if you guys are running an online game and you haven't checked it out yet, this is a brand new site. It's actually funded via Kickstarter, roll20.net. Uh, not only is it... It's the Flat out well done um, site to, to run games off of. Uh, it's easy to use. I mean, it's almost like uh, iPad like its simplicity. But it has a great fog of war feature, um, and you can use those to, to great effect.
0: Yeah, I like yeah twenty dude. 20.
1: Yeah, it's, 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 if you screw that, it, it's great. It's like, oh my god, I want to run a game on this tomorrow. <clears throat> but. Those are some serious concrete tools you can actually do as a GM, like things you can make in, in terms of the actual mechanics of running the game that can add that feeling it. And yeah. lastly narrative description.
0: Oh yeah, you gotta oh, set the sight and sound set, and smell, smell and all that, man.
1: Exactly. I mean, as a GM, so much is on you to heighten that sense of your horror in the games. Um your description of scenes, enemies, combat. And Dave, you said it's sound smell. Um Talk to me about sound, man. I mean, I mean, this is this is important in your descriptions.
0: Well yeah, well, yeah, I mean, like we said it earlier, you have to focus on the scene, right? You have to set focus on what they can hear but not see, because a lot of times that's going to set the tone for you know you hearing this rat ghoul s- squeal and a scream in the distance. Oh mercy, you know. Yeah. Um, a, low a low growl, or you know, you got uh, hoof, prints hoof prints of, of the, what, you, what you obviously are several objects, objects that are just sc- scampering sc- scamp- about, yeah. Yeah, but you can't see them.
1: Yeah, describing that sound is something a lot of GMs to fail to realize how important it is when you can't describe what they're seeing. On that note, smell. Do not forget to describe smells. When you encounter a body or a violent threat, don't forget the scent. Not only does it add a whole new layer of imagery in the player's minds, but when you describe the putrid reek of a corpse or a thing from beyond, but it can be used also to give the PCs hints of danger as the adventure progresses. When they're resting in a safe place and one player suddenly smells that stench, <laughs> it's it, it, you know, it's 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 that goosebump chill, you know, that oh my god, it's here or it's close, whatever it is. Yep. What else, man? What else can you do in your network?
0: uh Okay, so okay. get a little bit familiar yep. with anatomy. <laughs> it, <Okay. laughs> it sounds weird, but it works. All right, saying the right. body has body been eviscerated straight. has a pretty good sound good. impact, right? But saying but that saying you find a body and it looks it like looks the trachea like like is pretty completely pretty crushed. crushed. His abdomen has that- been torn open and ropey tendrils of intestines don't hide the fact that his That's liver has liver. been chewed out. That's a little that better.
1: better. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. So, again, narrative description, very important that you can... Uh, so to close it all up, the final thing we have to say about a horror game, prepare for the worst. You know what? A of all themes that we're eventually going to talk about, Horror is possibly the hardest to pull off. Don't feel bad if it just doesn't work out, Crimson. It'll still no doubt be a very fun session, even if your player's spines don't have tingles running up and down them. But don't be discouraged. Horror is something that very few GMs can do well. And honestly, man, practice make perfect. Just don't do it every session.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they'll get used to that, all that horror stuff and nah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because again, you're going away from the core of the beginning. It has to be unexpected. Um, you know, most campaigns are getting away with maybe one or two horror sessions from a, from a Star Wars standpoint. So, um, that's our advice, and I hope, I hope uh, this has given you some concrete tools to build a solid horror campaign and some things to think about as you're crafting your narrative and your story for the session. Um, I'm really excited about this segment. I think it's something new and exciting, and I want to know what other themes Gamer Nation would like us to tackle next. I've got a list, but quite frankly, um, the the primacy that the uh, the priority of what's on that list is going to depend entirely on you. So get to the forums at d20radio.com/slash forums. Get to the Order 66 polls. Post your mind. I want to know what what themes you might like us to talk about next. Now keep in mind, as a clarifier, we're not talking about an era. All right, saying I want to run a legacy game. That is not a theme. That is an era. And we kind of have some shows planned for stuff like that too. I'm just throwing that out there. But Uh, (laughs) you know for for a generalized theme we want to know what you guys want to talk about period not just this segment but any others so again get to the forums give us an email gmchris at d20radio.com gmdavid at d20radio.com and speak your mind
0: yeah do that yeah (laughs) and do this too wow Even the time, sad panda music yeah, doesn't sound sound so, so sad. Sad,
1: yeah. Every time we play that rock, always Skype decides to throw a shoe during. Rock.
0: No, sky has been throwing shoes all show today. I don't
1: know, I don't know what's going on. Uh, if only there was another free way to speak to each other that was easy and retains similar to sound quality.
0: We're gonna try uvu. U- U-
1: yeah it doesn't work better but in any event good show great discussion
0: yes I enjoyed yeah, it anyway.
1: so, again thanks guys um, keep your uh, ears glued to your headphones, drive glued to the forums for our next show announcement um, and again, don't forget T-shirts if you guys want them this year for Edition Wars and also our, our, our Gen Con shirt this year, officially, is what, it, what it's going to be. Um, be sure to head to thegamernations.org uh, and uh, reserve your shirt now. The orders are coming soon. Indeed. But with that, I want to thank you all. And again, thank you, Crimson Steel, for an excellent question that uh, engendered this episode. And uh, we look forward to many more. This is GM Crimson, wishing you peace, love, and good gaming.
0: And keep and those keep dice those rolling. D20
2: Radio,
1: this podcast and related website is, are not endorsed by Lucasfilm
0: Limited, 20th, Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Show site can be found at WizardNow.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, the 20 logo,
1: and the 20 system. It all names, of Star Wars, characters, characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related Wars items. They it are registered, <laughs> trademarks and copyrights copyright 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 of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content on this podcast and its related websites, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 Podcast.
2: Host show. <laughs>
0: Uh, yes, yeah, so episode 159, Night of the Living Ustream.
1: <laughs> I think Night of the Living Skype might be more appropriate.
0: The Skype of the Dead?
1: Well, Night, of the Liv- Night of the Living Ustream has a pretty good uh, ring to it, I'll be quite honest. Yeah, I
0: like it too.
1: I think, that might, I think that might be the winner.
0: <clears throat> Perfect. See? That's all we need right there, Bubba. <laughs> so tomorrow is my daughter's 16th birthday. That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: She's not a little girl anymore, Dave.
0: Nope. She's all excited because uh, I took her to do her final parallel parking test today, and she... Flat nailed it. So she's all happy. She's pretty sure she's gonna pass the test now.
1: Dude, I can't even parallel park.
0: <laughs> I know. So, yeah, she becomes a driver. My brother is. My brother is. Uh, as of yesterday, at any rate, had a car that came in for trade that I think we're gonna wind up getting her.
1: And your brother's a car salesman.
0: Yep. So, um, yeah, it's a good thing, I guess. going <laughs> you know, to start driving herself around. Uh, you
1: sound so hesitant.
0: I'm, I sound so upset by it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I'm not real excited about it, but, you know, I mean, it's a rite of passage. It's, it's time, right?
2: It is time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but what I'm really, truly excited about is the fact that Edition Wars is at the docks.
1: Or or on a boat. It could be on its way.
0: It could be on a boat by now. It is Monday in China already. So it could very well be on a boat on the way to us. You know what we didn't say is the fact that we were planning on having a launch party at Madness on or about August the 10th. Totally forgot about that. It's very exciting. Here and
1: I've been so hesitant to schedule a launch party though because you know what if
0: what if there's a delay? You know what I mean? I'll tell you what if there's a delay much later than August the tenth, we're sunk.
2: Yeah, that's true. It's uh,
1: very true. Arrange for emergency shipping.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know.
1: But, a helicopter yeah. lands. <laughs> On the ship, mid sea.
0: That's right. Driven by, flown by Cuba and Gooding Jr. Cu-
1: flown by Cuba Gooding Jr.
0: I don't know why. I just uh, thinking about that. You know,
1: thinking about Cuba. Why are you thinking about Cuba Gooding Jr.?
0: Uh, I was thinking about the when they uh, flew the uh, helicopter out to the boat on uh, an outbreak. The oh. uh, the ship called Taikook. Number forgot six Ty Cook. Number six Ty Cook.
1: Yeah. I totally forgot he was in an outbreak.
0: Yep. Yeah, we need to do more life as a game. That's what Fiddleback says, and that's true because we were supposed to do this, and this is like, you know. Yeah. So yeah.
1: We demand we demand more life as a game.
0: It's important. Um, it's 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 truly important.
1: I think we need to find a more stable podcasting solution for
0: <laughs> Uh yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I I think we just need to tweak some settings and um, figure out what, what the problem is. Because for whatever reason, whenever I talk to you, my call quality is yellow. And you're the only person that I ever have a yellow call quality with. And uh, which is really weird. You know, when you look on Skype and that call quality.
1: Yeah. And how come every time we get to post show, it's clear as the bell?
0: I don't know. Because It knows
1: night of the living you stream. Oh.
0: I don't know. Dude, I just don't know. But I can say that I'm very excited about this. Very excited about our little game o. And um yeah. Yeah. So, at any rate, I actually um I actually have to cut it short tonight because I have all this stuff to get ready for my daughter's party tomorrow.
1: Uh, so, are you are you gonna be are you taking the day off work? Or? No, 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 no. I can't.
0: I um, I have to work. But um, and I'm still trying to recover from this freaking pneumonia, man. It it has just everything I do for the last week has just just I do something and I get wiped out. I can't breathe. It's just terrible. Mm. Yeah, it's just poor, it's,
1: poor, poor Dave. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. poor Dave. Do yeah. you like a bottle of water to wash the sand out of your vagina?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I give you a hard time because I can. Mm-hmm. So there. That's right. I'm
0: diagnosed with vagitosis two days ago. <laughs>
1: probably really offended a couple of listeners with that comment. Yeah, probably so, but, you know. That's okay. Understand, listeners, I was attempting to offend Dave.
0: <laughs> you know, there's there's other things, too, that um, uh, hopefully that uh, Xerox or – what? Well, now, who was it that sent in the question? Morris Tillman or something? I forgot what his name was.
1: Uh, well, the, way,
0: the When Good Games Go
1: Bad. Oh, oh, uh, James Pillman, I believe. Oh, okay. You see, I, I was close. So I was James, his... James, James Pillman.
0: James Pillman. Uh, with any luck, he's going to record it, and he's going to send it to his GM, where I called him a douchebag and said, get a new damn GM. Because Dave always knee-jerks like that.
1: Yeah, but it's expected at this point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> After 159 episodes, it's not going to change.
1: <laughs> if that's not readily apparent by now, It should be.
0: That's right. Surly Dave is on the horizon.
1: (laughs) Surly Dave has been on the horizon for 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) He lives on the horizon. He's built a shack. (laughs) That's
0: right. That's right. Well, uh, guys, thanks for uh, sticking with us through the uh, technical challenges. I can't believe we're back on Ustream, but it's kind of cool.
1: It is unusual. It is very unusual. Echo base, it's good to be home. Uh, Good night, Gamer Nation.
0: Uh, And uh, good luck.